Hello, and welcome to the Free American Voice, Episode 6 on the Metaverse. Today, we're going to be talking about some of the legal implications of the Metaverse, as well as some of the societal implications. Uh, my name is Raj Asher. I'm a senior at the University of Michigan, studying economics, and a senior editor at Midwestern Citizen. My name is Jason Siegelin. I'm the editor-in-chief at Midwestern Citizen, and I'm a senior at the University of Michigan. Hi, everyone. My name is George Stregas. I'm a junior at The Ohio State University, studying philosophy, political science, and economics. Hi, my name is Paul Ambrose. I am a senior at the University of Missouri, and I am an associate editor at Midwestern Citizen. So to begin our conversation today, I think it would be helpful to kind of provide a definition of the metaverse, since to a lot of different people, it means a lot of different things. Um, so as it stands right now, the metaverse is essentially a 3D version of the internet. So um, kind of the most uh, common uh, conceptions of it are as kind of a virtual reality world or an augmented reality world. Um, so for example, Facebook's one, or now known as Meta, is one of the biggest companies in this space with their virtual reality headsets, where they kind of build a virtual world where you can interact with other people. But virtual reality isn't necessarily the only way to access the metaverse. Um, there's other companies such as Roblox, which offer like a video game platform where you have an avatar and you can move across uh, different worlds on their platform. So the metaverse is a very broad uh, term to kind of describe these 3D virtual environments. And it's basically a parallel to the real world. So you're inhabiting a separate world with sometimes even a separate economy. Yeah, I think it's really interesting you mentioned that, Raj. Uh, there actually is no sort of universal definition for the term metaverse. When I type metaverse into my computer, I get an error. So it's just interesting that it's sort of this amorphous term that's more aspirational than tangible. You know, when people talk about the metaverse, it's conceptions of what they think the future of the internet might look like, not necessarily what the internet looks like right now. Um, and quite frankly, when you sort of look at the landscape of tech platforms that are trying to implement metaverse technologies, a lot of them are fundamentally not scalable uh, or have just yet to reach sort of sufficient scale capacity and adoption. So this is very, very nascent technology, very nascent ideas that we're sort of talking about when it comes with the metaverse. But the interesting thing is that the metaverse is not new per se. Like, just like you were saying, we have Roblox. I know a while back, Second Life was really popular. Um, even sort of contemporary uh, uh, video games like Fortnite. Uh, sort of contain elements of, of metaverse technology. So it's sort of this paradox where it's both, you know, new and a lot of the technology undergirding the metaverse doesn't exist. But at the same time, we've sort of seen models of what the metaverse might look like um, already, already in place. Yeah, and I think to add on to that, why it's maybe more topical now than ever before, given that it has existed for a while and many different aspects is there seems to be a goal um, behind the metaverse now. Uh, specifically being pushed by Zuckerberg, the goal is to create one universal platform that like your character that was in Minecraft or Roblox can now be your character that was in Fortnite and to try to connect all these platforms that while it seems rather infeasible at the moment and there isn't a real plan on how they're going to enact this and how they're going to execute it, that's the general plan and the general goal of the metaverse, at least in Zuckerberg's eyes and that's kind of the model that we're going to be examining and looking through when we're going to be talking about some of the issues that may arise. Yeah, that's a great point, George. Um, interoperability is something that you'll hear a lot of sort of metaverse experts talk about. Um, the ability to sort of transfer digital assets, the ability to transfer um, sort of your identity even to other platforms, other sites. 
um, other worlds in the metaverse because you know you hear a lot about the metaverse but you don't really hear people say metaverses which is probably what you know a lot of individuals including zuckerberg sort of imagines he sort of imagines one large entity but within that entity there are multiple worlds in which users can interact with and they'd be able to have sort of their avatars and their identities sort of transfer into other worlds um so yeah i i think that just like you said the architecture for interoperability simply just isn't there yet but um it's it's much more uh, appropriate to sort of talk about metaverses because it, it's hard to sort of imagine one company having sort of a dominant vision of of their own metaverse that's sort of separate from the rest of the metaverses um, based on what we've currently seen. But uh, it just depends. Like for example, um, uh, Disney CEO Bob Chabik said last year that Disney was going to sort of develop its own metaverse, its own metaverse for, you know, people to interact with sort of Disney characters, to be able to represent Disney characters themselves, to sort of interact with classical Disney uh, environments. So it'll be really, really interesting to see which sort of model prevails at the end of the day, whether we get sort of the single unitary universe or we get sort of this multi, um, multi-dimensional, I, I, in, in a sense, uh, universe that you'd see in like Ready Player One. So I think with that kind of great summary of the metaverse, I think we can kind of jump into some of the um, potential legal issues that we can see with the metaverse. So I, I briefly mentioned that um, the metaverse can have its own economy. So with the example of Roblox, Roblox has their own currency, Roblox, in which you can convert real currency like the US dollar into this virtual currency um, and then use it within the game to, to buy goods within the game. And so this potentially brings up a problem of financial crimes um, with the metaverse. Uh, so what feasibly could be happening is criminals can be laundering money through these virtual worlds, which currently the policing structures seem to mainly be the tech companies and not a single government entity. So I guess a question kind of coming from this is how do we see governments trying to regulate any financial activity within these um, metaverse platforms. Just the tricky thing about it, Raj, it's that a lot of the technology undergirding the metaverse is fundamentally uh, sort of designed to be separate from government or at least separate from government purview. Um, a lot of these things you'll hear people talk about Web 3.0, which is you know leveraging decentralized technology to allow people to sort of communicate to be able to perform actions, purchase assets, a whole bunch of whole host of other activities um, without sort of interference from the government. So it's very, very important to sort of examine the regulatory environment here. Um, and the fact on the ground is that it doesn't exist. Um, it's sort of hard to say that the government's gonna have a role stepping in regulating like financial transactions or the sale of digital assets when the entire sort of philosophy of the metaverse is that it's a world where people can interact without sort of worrying about their actions being restricted by the government. So I think that to the extent that digital transactions and digital activities on the metaverse have implications for the real world, I think that there is going to have to be some regulatory oversight there. But then, I mean, just because there isn't a lot of that infrastructure sort of fleshed out yet, it's sort of hard to speculate on what that's going to look like and what that could potentially look like. I think that just like you were saying with Roblox uh, currency, if it's tied to the US dollar in any way, and you know, it has the potential to have some uh, issues for sort of stability and exchange rates or things like that, then I think that maybe there might be sort of a monetary role or role for government. But then again, it's just hard to say because we just don't know what the metaverse looks like. Yeah, and just building off of that, I think that's one, maybe the single biggest question mark that the metaverse leaves us with is 
who's in charge. Um, there's Meta, um, Zuckerberg's company believes that they could create a metaverse where they would be the governing body and in charge and participate in acts of censorship to in, avoid um, many of the things that we censor in today's society that just like hate speech. Um, there's also talks that Microsoft could be trying to make their metaverse that there's in they're in charge of. And there's a whole nother realm of metaverse creation where no one could be in charge and where we might grant like the greatest amount of autonomy in this metaverse in this online world where no one's in charge. How do you regulate speech? How do you regulate cyberbullying, especially in a virtual and augmented reality world where like it's more than like word 180 words in a tweet that's like like actual physical visual bullying that could have greater impacts on human beings yeah um i think that it's a it's 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 really really complicated these are sort of complicated issues that in the real world you know regulators struggle to deal with and then you're trying to transfer it to a digital environment where the government doesn't have the tools necessary or might not have the capabilities to regulate to the same degree that they can you know in reality it's 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 tricky um i think that yes the metaverse um as it currently stands you know if it were to sort of be uh um, implemented to its fullest extent, I think it would be a boon for big technology companies. Um, I think it's a multi-trillion dollar dollar idea, quite frankly, um, could be as revolutionary as sort of the, the inception of the internet. But at the same time, um, there are just fundamental problems and questions that the metaverse sort of leaves unsolved and unanswered. Um, for instance, like when we talk about you know, the metaverse being network connections, that it's sort of connecting multiple worlds and allows people to sort of engage with different worlds and engage with people from across the globe in sort of a fully digital environment. Do we have the sort of necessarily internet and uh, ne necessary internet uh, infrastructure to sort of facilitate that? Um, I know that in the infrastructure bill, there were sort of provisions to expand broadband access to internet. And those talks about the infrastructure bill has sort of stalled. And even if, you know, we were to implement broadband access, you know, across the nation, it's not necessarily going to be, oh, we're going to have broadband internet. It's instantaneously going to go into effect. The metaverse will be able to, you know, thrive um, overnight. And not only that, but there's no guarantee that sort of the effects of that broadband access are going to be even um, regionally. So, I think that's another really big question, sort of do we have the infrastructure in place to actually implement the metaverse? Like, do we have the computers, the computing power, the technology? I know, you know, there's a lot of talk about quantum computing and sort of what effect that's gonna have on industry. But then again, you know, there's still work to be done in all of these sectors and it's sort of gonna require collaboration between scientists, researchers, policymakers, I mean, lawyers and philosophers, quite frankly, like people who are, thinking about sort of the societal implications of the metaverse along with sort of the financial, economic, legal, regulatory um, um, issues that go along with it. Which brings up the question too, um, like how, what's the technology that, like how invasive is this technology uh, in terms of our bodily autonomy? Um, do we have like a chip in our brain eventually? Do we have some sort of, um, some sort of system that we install into our nervous systems? Um, and so there's a lot of complex questions that arise from that. And, you know, I wanted to just really quickly bring it back to the subject of crime as well. Um, you know, in the metaverse, um, sure, you can have financial crimes. Oh, that's always going to happen. Sure, you can have, um, you know, the issues of property regulation. But what exactly is um, going to constitute a, a, a crime regarding like murder or um, assault or 
um, you know, uh, really, really dark issues like rape as well. Like what's going to, what, what are those crimes going to, uh, how are those crimes going to be punished? Will they be punished? Um, so when we get into the subject of like bodily autonomy, uh, in the metaverse, it gets really dicey because like, is that our actual body in the metaverse or not? So that's another interesting question. Exactly. And who sets those rules? You know, is it private companies that are saying, okay, these are sort of our policies. These are the policies that every user of our metaverse space must follow. You know, that's another place where interoperability sort of becomes an issue. And not only that, but it just goes back to the point that philosophers, like people who are thinking about the social ramifications of the metaverse are going to be integral to its implementation. I mean, when you talk about something like the metaverse, taking reality itself and sort of making it digital, do our current laws and regulations fully cover these areas? I would think no. Um, for example, the crime of a murder, like who's going to be policing that? Would it be a governmental entity? If so, how? Like what would be the ramifications? Would they be kicked off the metaverse? Would they be transferred to like a virtual prison? You know, it's just, it's, it's, it's difficult to see, you know, how this would be feasible in its current form. Obviously, I don't want to say, you know, it's not going to be feasible because I'm sure a lot of people said that about the internet when people were first talking about it. There's an interesting interview uh, with David Letterman and Bill Gates where uh, he's sort of criticizing Microsoft's attempts to usher in new technologies. Um, I think he said like something about like, doesn't radio already exist when he was talking about like playing music on websites. But regardless, like people are always going to be wary of new technologies and I'm certainly no Luddite myself, but they're just very, very basic questions about what the world looks like when we sort of move further and further away from reality, tangible society, things we can touch and feel and experience in the real world towards virtual worlds that not only have an impact on our ability to do things in the real world, but can have an impact on our psyche, our emotions, our behaviors, our relationships with each other and our relationships with ourselves. Well, to take the 180 degree approach to that and look at it in a different direction. Right now we live in a society with murder. We live in a society with sexual harassment. The metaverse may be an opportunity, a learning tool to shape a society, change a society, experiment with different societies. Maybe how could people interact to reduce murder? How could we have people interface with each other and not commit as many acts of sexual harassment? How could we better our own society on earth and the metaverse may be able to be used as a tool where there's no real world ramifications because there may be some chip some sd card that can just be taken out and wipe out everything we did and we could start over fresh where everything that happens in the real world it's it's set in stone it's concrete so the metaverse may offer us an opportunity to use it in ways where we could learn how to address those exact issues you guys brought up that could occur there in our real world. Yeah, and I, I just wanted to return to the point that Jason was making about kind of bodily autonomy and kind of what entry into the metaverse looks like with that. So I think, I mean, what we've seen in the recent maybe like 10 years or so is companies are trying to make this virtual world more immersive. So. I mean, years ago, Google had their version of like a cardboard VR headset, and that was accessing VR. And now Facebook has like a full full on headset. And if I mean, you look to kind of literature with Ready Player One, they have like a full bodysuit um, for when you're in, in your the, uh, that their metaverse that you can kind of feel pain. You can it's like it's like you're like in a different, completely different world and you can feel everything. And so I think going to the crimes aspect, um, with some of these terrible crimes like murder, 
I, I think it becomes closer to the real world when these companies kind of become more intrusive with um, kind of how they bring you into the metaverse. If it starts being that we're wearing bodysuits to access the metaverse, um, maybe someone like you can feel someone's touch in the metaverse and then suddenly that's not so different from a real world assault crime. So um, I, I think that part of it, it's going to be really interesting, especially as the technology develops. Yeah, I mean, will we need like sort of a constitution or like, you know, like a rule book for the metaverse? Like what does the right to privacy look like in a virtual environment? And I think that brings up another sort of legal problem with the metaverse when we're talking about like cybersecurity, like who's in charge of regulating the just swaths of information that's going to be generated by people's activity in the metaverse. Like people are already concerned about their phones being tracked, people concerned about advertisers tracking them. Like what happens when you're living your life fully in a digital environment and almost every single action in that digital environment is being tracked and monitored and used to either monetize um, your data or used to potentially uh, share that data with people you might not want it to be shared with, um, who has access to that data, what happens when there's a breach or a hack, like what's the recourse for individuals when all that personal information is in the hands of malicious actors? Like, I think these are really, really important questions that sort of have to get answered before we can even think about implementing something like the metaverse. Like, will we need a constitution for the metaverse? Would that constitution be any more effective than our current constitution? Like these, these are things that matter. Yeah, I think the, the last point you made too about, about, um, about people being tracked constantly or at least having others able to track all of our behaviors, just like we, they can do online uh, potentially. Um, really, this is sort of describing a security state's dream. Uh, it's like, you know, the, the CCP might, might, might like this or some other sort of, uh, some sort of governing institution that wants to exert authoritarian uh, influences on its population. Um, and so that calls into question really um, the need for a uh, even more robust constitution that uh, than already exists, considering the extent to which government interference can actually occur in a setting like this. Yeah, it is. Uh, the metaverse is quite the prospect for sort of dystopian authoritarian governments. It is. Uh, it would be pretty bad if it got in the hands of malicious actors, whether they be from the private sector or from the government. And I think that's all the more reason why we sort of need to approach this with caution and really, really think about sort of those bigger sociological questions about whether or not this is a good idea. And, and I think also when we're talking about the regulation of the metaverse, if it it comes to a point that the metaverse is looking a lot like the real world, world. I mean, especially in terms of having like a constitution and everything like that. I think then the question comes up of, well, what, what's the point of the metaverse? I think, because I think in the beginning, it's to kind of serve as um, maybe an escape from the real world. And we're going to talk a little bit more about this. Um, but is it, does it just become like a separate world that's kind of just the same as what we have if, everything kind of just looks modeled after the real world. Yeah, I personally am very much concerned about sort of the tokenization, gamification, financialization of life itself. Like, at what point do we say, you know, this thing doesn't really have a lot of utility. We're just going to sort of replicate the problems that we face in the real world, except we won't have the tools to actually mitigate those problems. Um, I think that that's another great point, you know, sort of if we're just replicating the world as it is and all of its disorder and chaos, like at what point do we say, okay, maybe we should take a step back. Maybe we should, you know, try and examine ways to fix problems in the real world 
um, before we start, you know, trying to escape uh, escape reality. I think it provides a good opportunity to segue into our next point. Um, so uh, the the billionaire investor, uh, Mark Andreessen, has uh, relatively recently uh, referred to a concept called reality privilege um, regarding uh, the privilege of certain people who are not handicapped, who are not dealing with any sort of mental health issues and are relatively healthy physically uh, in the real world, um, painting them as priv somehow as privileged over people who do suffer from um, issues uh, that come with having a body and having a, a brain that's susceptible to, to illness. Um, and so just I wanted to inject, inject this into the conversation, just this concept of reality privilege, um, how, you know, how necessary is the metaverse um, when you have a situation where uh, people, um, people's, a lot of people's problems could be alleviated um, by, uh, by starting this thing, by having everybody live digitally, having people have the option to cancel their pain to, uh, to, to just, you know, bring an example up. Um, there just seems to be a lot of, um, uh, you know, and I'm very wary of the metaverse. I'm, I'm very skeptical of it, but at the same time, argument for it is almost inevitable when you think about the, the bodily conditions people are dealing with in terms of pain, illness, and the like. So I just wanted to bring that up and see what people think about that. How do you envision that? Do you see that as sort of people being able to like be in a digital environment that sort of lets them escape from the pain of the real world? Like, are you talking about like physical pain? Yeah, that's kind of what that's kind of what Andreessen brought up uh, regarding like people who were handicapped, people who were uh, dealing with, I guess, physical pain. Uh, and that's kind of the concept of reality, priv reality privilege, which I, I question, uh, obviously. But it, nonetheless, uh, it, it brings up a point is like how how much uh, how many issues can this sort of situation alleviate where we can potentially control our pain by living in this dream state almost. That's, uh, that's an interesting point. I hadn't really considered that. Um, I personally, you know, I, I, I struggle with that um, just because it feels like another form of, of sort of escaping reality, escaping sort of the real world and the way we can sort of make a difference in the real world. Like I, I would much rather have our sort of science and technology be geared towards alleviating those conditions in the first place, sort of as a preventative thing than providing an avenue to sort of escape those problems. Um, but I mean, that's, that's, yeah, that's a really important question, especially when it comes down to personal choice. You know, if someone chooses to sort of live in this digital world to escape from sort of the pain, trials and tribulations of the real world, like, is that something we should try and encourage? Is that something we should try to make as attractive as possible? Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's definitely something to consider. Yeah, I think it's, it's something that personally, I'm very wary of that point being made as much utility as you might be able to provide in a circumstance. I, I do agree with you, Paul, that like it reaches a point where <clears throat> what is reality? Um, are we, how incentivized are we to improve our material condition if we're living in this simulation? Um, you know, the, the, the concept of moral hazard comes up too, is that if you have no cost to pay, if you have no pain to avoid, there's going to be no progress and it's a hard truth, but um, it's just a situation where it's, it, and, and, you know, combined with the fact that you're, you can easily be monitored, easily, easily be surveilled, uh, just calls into question the whole thing um, that people advocating for this don't really seem to be all too cognizant of. Yeah, I think I have two general concerns when I'm just thinking about this reality privilege issue. The first concern is accessibility. 
Um, only 65% of the world even has internet access in the first place. You would ponder that a large population of the people that would want to escape into this reality world won't even have the opportunity to do so. But even if we do get people into this reality world, what's stopping them from getting taken advantage of is really the first thing that comes to my mind is we know that or the creators, the government in this metaverse, whoever's in charge, whoever's the controlling factor, controlling body, knows that these people are essentially reliant on their metaverse. They're miserable in the real world and they may do anything to stay in this metaverse. What what stops this governing body from making them take drastic measures to enter the metaverse, from making it extremely expensive, making them work to enter the metaverse. There's a number of ways that people could be taken advantage of in order to gain this better world for their life. And there's no body, there's no law we have right now that's going to stop a governing body, stop the person in charge of the metaverse from doing so. There's really no regulation. So it's it's a very scary world that we could be entering in regards to that. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I think, because I mean, you're also thinking about who are, who are the actors in this situation. It's these large tech companies and reality privilege seems a lot like, well, it could be a very true concept that for some people, it would be preferable to be in a metaverse world, but it also just seems like a marketing tool that that's being used to sell people on the metaverse and, and get them to try it out. And I also think that this idea of reality privilege is a bit of a slippery slope. It could become so expansive that it like goes from some people with like health problems, or if you're just going through, I mean, people just going through maybe temp, what seems like a permanent problem, but might just be a temporary problem, might just want to withdraw into the metaverse. And I, I see that as a potential um, issue with, I guess, using this reality privilege to frame the metaverse. Yeah. Um... Lots of great points there. I mean, it really just, it's a fundamental metaphysical problem. Like what is reality itself? Like, is it solely material? Um, is it immaterial? Like sort of if we're focusing on immaterial reality, like is everyone's conception of that reality the same thing? If not, should we sort of mandate that everyone's conception of reality be that same thing? Should we incentivize private platforms, private companies to sort of shape what our conception of reality ought to be? I mean, this is this this is this is not like something that's you know sort of straightforward. Like to me, the the metaverse seems like sort of the ultimate example of private rent seeking. Like these companies are trying and trying and trying to sort of lure more and more people in support of um, this this concept that isn't fully fleshed out. Uh, I mean. Facebook or Meta uh, recently spent like $10 billion just sort of on metaverse architecture, but that's just one conception of the metaverse. We don't know about other metaverses. We don't know about what Facebook specific plans for the metaverse are. And I think without resolving those sort of fundamental metaphysical questions and resolving the questions about whether the infrastructure is feasible, um, it's gonna be really, really hard to see this as something other than sort of a, a money grab from a lot of big tech platforms. And it, it it would be a boon for them. I mean, we're talking about billions and billions and billions of dollars that could be made from the metaverse, but what value is it actually adding to society? You know, what value does this have economically, socially? Yeah, that's a great point, Paul. And I think, I think it kind of brings up another point is that 
this is this seems to be somewhat artificial and in, in creating demand. I mean, uh, people I, I don't think I would have walked down the street five years ago, three years ago, two years ago, even and and heard somebody even mentioning something like this, like the metaverse, for instance. Um, it, it doesn't really seem there, there are so many needs. There's so many so many uh, more material demands that people are dealing with inflation, uh, shortages of resources and, and energy. Um, and, 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 and a bunch of other issues in the material world that need to be solved uh, first. And it seems to be that, you know, I'm not somebody to, to judge uh, what products are made in the market per se, but I can certainly say uh, that I don't, I don't think that this was something that was uh, top of mind uh, for most American consumers before it was introduced as a concept. Um, I don't have empirical evidence to support that, but it's just my gut instinct telling me that because I certainly didn't think about it either. So, yeah, I don't know. With all of this, I find it actually really fascinating that the introduction of this concept wasn't actually through technology so much as it was from kind of it was from literature and just kind of fiction books um, talking about these virtual worlds. So I, I just thought that was interesting that it seems like technology companies kind of look to fiction and then are trying to implement that now. I think these tech companies may have only read the first few chapters of these books. I don't think these books were intended to be ringing endorsements of the technologies they sort of displayed. Um, but then again, you know, that's that's just my personal opinion. But I think from also like a practical point of view, like how do you value these digital assets? I know when it comes to cryptocurrencies and non-fungible tokens, there's been a lot of concerns about how do you actually put a price on these things in terms of hard currency. Um, I think it'd be pretty hard for a fund manager or someone trying to, you know, value these assets on their books to say, okay, what is, you know, a 30 acre plot of land in the metaverse actually worth? And, you know, what do divergences in that worth actually mean on the ground? Like, would someone be able to, you know, make a profit in arbitrage off of, you know, real world currency and then some land parcel in, in the metaverse that doesn't even exist. Like, I feel like that's just another example of rent seeking. Like, is there going to be any value that's going to be created from this? Or is this just a way for people to be able to extract money from others without really adding much value to their lives or, you know, creating much productivity at the end of the day? Yeah, Paul, I really think you just nailed it home with one specific word, that being practicality. I think our whole conversation could be summed up by a lack of practicality. Who's going to run the metaverse? How do we connect these different interfaces? How do we avoid crime? It's the practical idea behind all of this really seems to be the centerpiece of all our issues that we've seen today. And, you know, going off that as well, a lot more seems to be impractical in the sense that uh, how are we resource constrained in the metaverse? Um, and that kind of goes off of Paul's point with regard to prices. You know, prices are the result of, 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 of having constraints on resources. Otherwise, everything would be free. There, you just have unlimited resources. So it depends. And that kind of goes to the point of energy. I think the constraint on this, these resources in metaverses in the metaverse might just be the fact that a computer can only have so much, so much storage or so much energy. Um, uh, from the from the, the the power plant that that gives it energy. So I think it's another interesting question: is that prices are going to be very difficult um, because simply because there's 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 very run or new frontier where there's very uh, little perceptions of shortage that uh, I might envision. Um, but yeah, going off of George's point as well, it just a lot more seems you know, impractical than prices that we could get into. But we could go all day for that. 
Okay, so I think that's a great place to um, end our discussion today. I think it maybe brought up a little bit more questions and answers on this. I mean, this is a very um, still still kind of we're in the early stages of the metaverse and we don't have much tangible technology with it to discuss. But I think in the next few years and, and beyond, um, there's going to be a lot more uh, debate about um, some of these issues we touched on today. So um, be sure to check midwesterncitizen.com uh, for our article releases. And thank you for listening and be sure to subscribe to the podcast.